for that, George. That was All right, uh, quick reminder, too, uh, I almost forgot. Um, I wanted to make an announcement uh, for two, two reasons. Uh, Saturday, because we're having our Christmas Eve service on Saturday, um, and because if you look at the weather forecast, I'm going to go ahead and make the decision we're not going to have church Wednesday night. Uh, it's supposed to be like 16 below actual here, uh, 17 below Thursday. So it's going to be a, a cold, chilly night. And um, I don't know, I think they're even calling for some snow on Wednesday and Thursday. So uh, we'll just make the call. We're having our Saturday service, so there won't, will not be a Wednesday evening service. Uh, at this time, we'll go ahead and dismiss the kids for Children's Church. So, yes. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, we had a great time. So be here for the Lippert peanut brittle. So if, if anything, uh, be here for that. But absolutely missed out. If you didn't make it to the men's prayer breakfast, you missed out on an amazing meal, amazing time of prayer. I uh, was really encouraged by the men uh, praying and praying for all of you out there. So and praying for the community and just uh, was just a great, it was a great day yesterday. So um, glad I was able to, uh, to get up here for that and course my wife and my son are not here today because uh, they he had a my son's basketball game was supposed to be Thursday they moved it to Friday and that really threw a wrench in everything so they stayed home uh, for all that and and uh, uh, they'll be up here Tuesday because he has a game up here on Tuesday night so I'm staying through Tuesday so I'm just gonna stay here they're gonna ride up with the team and then we'll ride back Wednesday morning after uh, after the game uh, the next day so all right, if you would, uh, if you didn't get a handout, or uh, uh, there is a handout for this morning's service, um, you'll see in your handout we're going to be in the book of Luke. Um, we've been going through the book of Luke a little bit here to, as we're in the, into the Christmas season, and we're uh, looking at uh, the coming uh, birth of Jesus Christ, and we've been looking at the life of Mary, and uh, we set up Luke and, and the truth of God's word, and that we can trust what we read out of the word of God, and and so that's kind of set up to where we're going to be this morning. So uh, as you prepare, as you're turning to Luke chapter 1, verse 39, um, is where we're going to be in our text this morning, starting in verse 39. But before we dive into our text, I'd like to open in a word of prayer. So uh, let's take a moment to pray. Heavenly Father, uh, Lord, I just thank you again for this opportunity to be able to preach from your word. It's just an honor and a privilege to stand behind this sacred desk and to preach your word and to teach uh, the things that you've taught me. And Father, I just pray that you would get me out of the way, that your word would go forth, and that it would be uh, received by those uh, in attendance this morning and those who are, are watching us on the internet, Father. I pray that uh, you would be with each and every one of them that couldn't be here this morning or for health reasons or whatever uh, factors are, are in play that they can't be here at this time. I pray that you will bless them and uh, they will be blessed by... Uh, your word this morning. I pray for this congregation that they would open up their hearts and their minds to your word. They would apply what they are learning to their lives and help us all to just uh, prepare our hearts for uh, the celebration of your son coming to this earth, putting on flesh, living amongst us, 
and then giving his life ultimately on the cross of Calvary so that we could have eternal life. And it all began with the birth of a little baby boy in Bethlehem. Father, help us to be mindful of that on Christmas morning, that it's not about Santa Claus, uh, it's about Jesus Christ. And I pray that you will keep our focus there this morning and each and every day. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you uh, haven't turned your Bibles, Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 39 is where our text will be this morning. Beginning in verse 39, the Bible says, And Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste into a city of Judah and entered into the house of Zacharias and saluted Elizabeth. And it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe leaped in her womb. <clears throat> and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. And she spake out with a loud voice and said, Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. And whence is this to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For lo, as soon as the voice of thy salutation sounded in mine ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. And blessed is she that believed, for there shall be a performance of those things which were told her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. For he hath regarded the lowest state of his handmaiden. For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. For he that is mighty hath done to me great things, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. He hath showed strength with his arm. He hath scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He hath put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them of low degree. He hath filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he hath sent empty away. He hath holpen his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spake to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his seed forever. And Mary abode with her about three months, and returned to her own house. So we're setting it up here. Uh, what's going on here is Mary, remember... Um, she was told, last week we heard uh, in the message, that Mary was informed by the angel that her cousin Elizabeth was had been with child for the past six months. She was six months along. And we see that Mary has left in haste to go visit her cousin. Uh, to go to be an encouragement to her cousin, who we know <coughs> is also, in a sense, a miracle birth of John the Baptist, because uh, uh, Elizabeth... Uh, probably not as old maybe as Sarah, but was beyond years for childbirth, it says. So therefore, another miracle in that John the Baptist, uh, Elizabeth would be the mother of John the Baptist. And so uh, Mary has gone, uh, she's gone to visit with her older cousin Elizabeth, who would soon be giving birth to, as we know, John the Baptist. We are told that when the baby in her womb, in Elizabeth's womb, heard the salutation of Mary, it leaped with joy. It leaped with joy in Elizabeth's womb. I, I, I want you to understand there's something that we can learn from just that short little verse. Some truth that we can take from the Word of God. 
We believe this to be the word of God. We believe it's inerrant, infallible, that it's all true. Then understand that if that baby at six months old leaped in the womb for a baby that had just been placed in the womb of Mary, so she's not even at a point where the only reason she knows she's with child is because the angel told her. She's not even far enough along to know she's pregnant. And what do we learn from that? We learn that they are babies from conception. We can take from the truth of God's word that uh, this baby knows who's in Mary's womb and is excited about the coming Messiah, right? So we can understand that uh, there's something going on. There's intelligence there. There's uh, personality. The baby leapt with joy at the coming of a Messiah. Uh, In the womb, John the Baptist is already aware of Jesus Christ. And if he's aware, he has intelligence, he has a personality, he is a human being, and therefore he has, uh, he's 100% human being, and therefore he has a God-given right to life. A God-given right to life. And if we get anything out of it, I mean, it's such a truth that we should take from the Word of God this morning. I love what Paul Chapel says about John the Baptist in this whole thing. He says, John the Baptist, while still in his mother's womb, was making his first prophecy concerning the Son of God. Again, showing his intelligence. He's not even out of the womb, and he's already aware of the coming Messiah. Prophesying it because he's leaping. He's letting Elizabeth know, I am leaping with joy because I hear the mother of our Savior is with you. You leap with joy when you hear about your Lord and Savior? What's really cool is uh, Jeremiah 1.5. Jeremiah 1.5 says, and this is God speaking to Jeremiah, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee. And I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. What's really cool is this Jeremiah was being told by God, Look, Jeremiah, uh, I knew you before you were even formed in the belly. Uh, and and before you came us out of the womb. And I sanctified you and ordained you for a purpose. He could very well have told this very same, used this very same verse on John the Baptist. Look, I knew you were going to be in Elizabeth's womb before I ever put you there, before before I allowed that to happen. I I knew that you were going to come forth and you were going to proclaim the coming of my son. You have a job. You're going to prophesy. You're going to tell people that my son has come, that the Messiah has come for the nation of Israel. Because ultimately, that is the original intent. If Israel accepts Jesus as their Messiah, we don't have the age of grace. We enter into the millennial reign. Israel accepts them. But God knew they wouldn't. He already had a plan. He already knew that Jesus, because how do we know that God already knew that? Because he prophesied that his son would be put on a cross, that that we would look on one who was pierced for our iniquities, right? He would suffer. So we already knew that it wasn't going to work that way, but he came to usher in originally the kingdom of God, and and, and therefore that's what they tell him. Look, uh, here's the one who's going to usher in the kingdom of God. You need to uh, trust him, Jesus Christ. He's one whose shoe latch it's I'm not worthy to unlatch. So 
So John the Baptist had a purpose to tell the world about this Jesus. And Jeremiah 1.5 could be used very well to describe uh, John the Baptist's life as he coming into the world. And to continue by way of introduction, we see these two expectant mothers, to get back on the focus of these mothers, what are they doing? They're encouraging one another. As these two mothers rejoice in the goodness of God, Mary is confronted with a choice. Where to place her focus? Where does she place her focus? Does she focus on her circumstances? I mean, ultimately, she knows what's about to come, right? Now, at this point, only she knows she's probably with child. But there's going to be a time when it's going to be evident. And remember, one of the things we learned last week was that Mary, when she started to show, was in that betrothal time, and it was well understood that Joseph hadn't received, hadn't finished preparing their home, and, and therefore they weren't at the point where he would take his wife into their home and uh, consummate the ma marriage. They haven't gotten to that point. Yet they, she's going to be showing that she's with child at some point. You can only hide it for so long. And what's going to happen is she will be re ridiculed. And uh, you, you know how uh, the Jewish people, some of them will say she should be stoned to death. And, and, and Joseph would have had every right by Jewish law to let her be stoned to death because of uh, her assumed adulterous actions. So she knows what's coming. She's looking on her circumstances. She... She has plenty to fear. So she has a choice. She can focus on her circumstances or she can focus on God's perfect plan. Notice in verse 6, she makes her choice very clear. In verse 6, she says, My soul doth magnify the Lord. My soul doth magnify the Lord. What do I mean by the word magnify? What does magnify mean? Well, Webster's Dictionary of 1828 gives us two really uh, Definitions. The first is to make great or greater, to increase the apparent dimensions of a body, like when using binoculars. The hunters understand that. When you're out there looking at that uh, elk out there, and you're like, is that a big bull? And, oh, yeah, that's a big bull. So you're, you're using binoculars to make it. That's one form of magnify. Uh, that's not what we're talking about with Jesus. What we're talking about is to make great in representation, to extol, to exalt in description or praise, to extol to exalt, to elevate, to raise in estimation. She is putting her focus, she's magnifying, she's choosing to magnify the Lord. Um, to try to illustrate this a little bit, um, I'm going to share a hunting story. My son and I had the opportunity to go elk hunting this year, and we were able to hunt a, a place where uh, it had been known that these elk were traveling through. You just had to know if you're going to be there on the right day or not. And that morning, my son and I got set up, and we're sitting there, and we're watching this field, hoping that they're going to come by. We have to be careful because we're right next to some private property, and we don't want the elk to cross the fence. So we're sitting there, and as we're sitting there, uh, my son all of a sudden says, here they come. And he spots some elk coming. And they're about a quarter mile away, and, but on a trajectory that they're going to come right by us. And so what does my son do? The first thing he does He's got his rifle already set up on, our, on, a, on a tripod that I have, and he's looking through it, and he, he looks through the scope to magnify those elk. So our first definition of magnify, he does that, right? He's making them bigger so he can see what they are, and he just starts going bull, 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 and I realize we have eight bulls coming toward us. Uh, and so 
Now the adrenaline is really flowing because my son's never killed an elk, and he's super excited, and I hadn't killed one in a long time. So we're getting excited, but what's my son do? Regardless, I, I, as a kid, I was always like, I got time here. I'm going to pick out the biggest bull. I want to shoot the biggest one in the group, not my son. He put his focus on the first front bull. He said, I'm on the lead bull. That's the one I want. Said, okay, I'm not going to bug you. You know, it's a, it's a decent bull in the group. They're all uh, relatively the same. So he focused. He magnified on that one. He never took that scope ever again off that bull. The whole time he's watching it, I'm watching just through the naked eye, and I'm keeping an eye, and I'm using my rangefinder and, and stuff. But my son watched that bull all the way. He kept focused on that bull right up to the point, and then he shot it. He was able to harvest that bull. But the idea is his focus never left what he wanted right there. And that's what Mary's doing. Mary says, look, regardless of my circumstances, regardless of what's going on around me, I choose to magnify the Lord. God, uh, and, and ultimately understand that this baby in her womb is the Lord she's referring to. She's willing to submit to a child she hasn't even given birth to yet. She knows what's going on here. And so uh, that's the idea. So do you get excited when you hear the name of Jesus being magnified? Do you magnify the name of the Lord yourself? This morning, we will see from uh, Mary's song and, and, and ultimately verses 46 through 55, it's actually a song that Mary sings. Uh, it's, it's looked at as th this is a song that she sings. And through her song, we'll see three ways in which she chooses to magnify the Lord. And the first way is to magnify his salvation. She magnifies his salvation. We see this in verses 46 through 48. I want you to understand, like I said, 46 through 48, it, or through 55, is ultimately a song she's singing. It's referred to as the Magnificat, which follows, is named from the opening verb of the Latin Vulgate's translation of Mary's hymn in 1 uh, verse 46. What's it say? And Mary said, my soul doth magnify the Lord. So it's, it's the Magnificat. Uh, and it's, it's very similar to what Hannah did in 1 Samuel 2, verses 1 through 10. Um, remember when Hannah wasn't able to have a baby and she prayed and she asked God to to look upon her and to give her grace and to and allow her to have a child and ultimately she and she said if you will do so I will give that child back to you and ultimately what did God do he gave her a child and later after that baby was born she gave a prayer <coughs> ultimately singing her own song to the Lord and praising the Lord and she magnified the Lord in first Samuel chapter 2 we'll take a uh, a little brief look at that here in a minute. But Mary praised God for what he was about to do and for the part she was privileged to play in his plan. And that's what she's doing here. So ultimately, I want you to see that she magnifies his salvation, but she does this first and foremost by that she, because she magnified Jesus as Lord. She magnified Jesus the Lord. Um, isn't it interesting to know that as Christians, um, many of us are we're quick, to, uh, um, to trust God, you know, for our salvation, right? Um, to acknowledge God as our Savior, right? We're, we're quick to do that. I, I'm, Jesus is my Lord, or Jesus is my Savior. He's, he's the one who saves my soul. I'm thankful for that I'm going to heaven. And we're quick to do that. 
But a lot of Christians today do not acknowledge him as their Lord. They want him for, to be their Savior, uh, but they don't want to leave the throne that they've been sitting on for so long and vacate it for the one who deserves to be there. Uh, we, don't, we don't like to uh, look at him as our Lord. Uh, we're thankful for that precious gift of salvation, but most Christians just don't want him to be, uh, they want him to be Savior, but they don't want him to be the Lord. And we see Mary, she humbles herself as a humble servant. We talked about this last week. She is a humble servant. She acknowledges Jesus as her Lord, even though he is yet unborn. Her praise of the Lord is reminiscent of Hannah's prayer that I was talking about earlier. And I'm not going to read all ten verses of it, but 1 Samuel, in your handout there, I got 1 Samuel 2, verses 1 through 3, gives you an idea of what she says. Hannah says, and Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoiceth in the Lord. Mine horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth is enlarged over mine enemies, because I rejoice in thy salvation. There is none holy as the Lord, for there is none beside thee. Neither is there any rock like our God. Talk no more so exceeding proudly. Let not arrogancy come out of your mouth, for the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. See, uh, what I want you to see with regards to Hannah, we understand her prayer. What you know, She was so grateful that God allowed her to have Samuel, and ultimately she gave Samuel back to the Lord and ended up having more children after that. God blessed her, right? But do you see that? Where is her focus? Well, who is she magnifying? She doesn't say anything about herself or her son. She magnifies the Lord. The object of Hannah's delight is neither herself, that she had overcome the disgrace of barrenness, nor her son. But instead, it is the Lord who is the source of both her son and her happy circumstances. That's where our focus should be, regardless of our circumstances. Whatever we might be going through, good or bad, we need to magnify the Lord. And Mary is no different. Despite her circumstances, she chooses to magnify the Lord, not herself. These two women chose to allow God to have complete control over their lives, and therefore they were blessed for it. So do you magnify the Lord in your circumstances? Do you make him the Lord of your life? Understand, Jesus is the one who should be sitting on the throne of your life, not you. Not you. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments, right? So what are his commandments? Matthew 28, 19. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Ghost. Missionaries like to uh, use that verse. Uh, you know, it is the Great Commission, but the Great Commission isn't just foreign missions. We are under the Great Commission. Stephensville and the Bitterroot Valley need to know who Jesus Christ is. They need to know that they need a Savior. And therefore, we should be telling people about it. We are called to be a living sacrifice. Romans 12.1 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto me, which is your reasonable service. What is he saying there? We should become a living sacrifice. We should be, uh, you know, uh, God's not asking us to give our life like some men have done in the past, like the apostles did. The majority of the apostles gave their life uh, they wouldn't stop preaching the gospel when they were told to, and they ultimately were martyred for it, many people. That's not, he's asking us to be a living sacrifice. Live for me. Don't die for me. Live for me. Give your life over to me, and, let, and, and I'm waiting to bless you for it. I'm waiting to bless you for it. 
if we will humble ourselves and yield to his will, we too can enjoy the blessings he wants to bestow upon us. Uh, understand that Mary and Elizabeth are blessed to be able to have these children. Uh, we're speaking about them thousands of years later because of the honor that was bestowed upon them by God. They received blessings. Why? Because they put themselves in a situation, because they were living sacrifices for God. And they were living for Him. And therefore, if you will do the same, you can enjoy the blessings that uh, God wants to bestow upon you. Look at Galatians 6, 9. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. We shall reap if we faint not. <clears throat> so, she magnified Jesus the Lord, but she also magnified Jesus the Savior. And we see this in verses 47 and 8. And in verse 47, we see the Savior cares personally. The Savior cares personally. Um, Mary says, And my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. In God my Savior. Mary understood that she was carrying the Savior of the world, and that meant her own personal salvation. God cares for each and every one of us personally. How do we know that? Matthew 10, 29-31 says, Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing? And one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father? But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear ye not, therefore, <clears throat> ye are more precious than many sparrows. God knows you so intimately, he knows the numbers of the hairs on your head. Now, some of us have a few more hairs than others, but ultimately, he still knows them. That's how personal he is with us. And God cares for us so much uh, and, and loves us and wants fellowship that he wants to make sure, I mean, he wants every one of us individually, personally, to come to Jesus Christ for salvation. He wants all of us to be saved. 1 Timothy 2, 4 says, Who will have all men to be saved, talking about God, and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. What is truth? Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the truth. And you want to come to the knowledge of the truth, and therefore, if you come to the knowledge of the truth, you can be saved. But I want you to see, too, the Savior comes compassionately. As discussed in last week's message, we found Mary to be a very humble person. Here we see her humility as she recognizes her sinful nature and shows her appreciation for God still sending a Savior for the world. So do you think God was surprised when, he entered, uh, when sin entered into the world? He didn't catch him by surprise. Like I said... He, from, in his omniscience, uh, he already knew this was going to happen. And God has, was prepared. He had prepared a glorious plan. This plan was in place for Jesus before man was created. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. Jesus, too, was part of that plan and came obediently and compassionately to save a lost world. We see it in 2 Timothy 1, verse 9 who hath saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. You see that? It's a plan that's always been in place. <clears throat> but not only, uh, but lastly, I want you to see, he also saves, <coughs> excuse me, the Savior blesses generationally. The Savior blesses generationally. We see this in verse 48. In verse 48. 
For he hath regarded the lowest state of his handmaiden. For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. Seems like she's being a little prideful there, right? Oh man, everybody's going to look at me, man. They're going to look back on me and I'm, they're going to call me blessed. No, no, she's not being prideful. Uh, she's just pointing out the truth. Um, be reminded that we've talked about this already. She's a very humble person. She's not gloating, but rather acknowledging the honor and privilege it is to be chosen to carry the Savior of the world. And because of her willingness to submit to God and do what God has asked her to do and to go through all the, the nasty stuff she's going to have to deal with for a while, um, her willingness to do that, generations benefit from it. From her generation on and into the future until the Lord returns, all have the opportunity to benefit from uh from this virgin birth, all because of what her, her willingness to submit. Galatians 4, verses 4 and 5 says, But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoptions of sons. What's he saying here? Uh, look, when the fullness of time, God sent forth his Son, right? And that's what we're seeing. That's what we're seeing. He's sending forth his son. Made of a woman is very key to understand. We're talking about a day and age uh, in the Jewish society. Uh, women were not held of high esteem in this day. Okay? They weren't. Um, understand that, uh, you know, men, uh, everything was pointing to the man. When you, Notice how it always said, you were the, David, uh, you know, uh, Solomon was the son of David, you know. And it refers to uh, being a son of Obed or being a son of Adam or a son of, you know, it, you're always the son of the father. But it points out here, being made under the, or uh, being made of a woman. Made of a woman. What's that pointing to? That's showing us the virgin birth. Jesus was made of a woman. Uh, because if he was the son of Joseph, he'd be 100% man and 0% God. But he was made of a woman because God the Father is his father. So that, that points you also to the virgin birth again. So we see this in Galatians 4, verses 4, 5. And he's made under the law. Why? To redeem them that were under the law. The law points us to a Savior, Jesus Christ, and that we might receive the adoptions of Son. Therefore, we have to receive that gift. It's a gift available to all, but not all take it. Not all receive it. It has to be received. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the only way all happens is if everyone accepts the precious gift. And because we have a free will and uh, God doesn't want to force anyone into heaven, he allows us to choose. And therefore, well, we have a, a choice to make. So I want you to see Mary magnifies Jesus as Lord and as Savior in order to magnify his salvation. Now let's look at how Mary chooses to magnify his character. She magnifies his character. <clears throat> and this starts, uh, we see this in verses 49 and 50, and she starts by magnifying his power. She magnifies his power. Verse 49a says, uh, the first part of verse 49, for he that is mighty hath done to me great things, right? And this should be easy for Mary to personally, uh, uh, after personally experiencing the power of God when Jesus was conceived by the Spirit in her womb. Remember, we learned last week that the power of God overshadowed her, right? The power of God overshadowed her. So she knows firsthand that God 
uh, he can do the impossible. In fact, Luke 137, which was in our passage last week, for God, with God, nothing shall be impossible. So she magnifies the power, uh, magnifies his power. She also magnifies his holiness. She magnifies his holiness in uh, verse 49 again. And holy is his name. Uh, God is so holy that even his name is holy, right? Uh, ultimately, we, we and, the, and the Jewish society showed us that in that uh, in in the Old Testament days and in uh, long ago, they wouldn't even say his name because it was so holy to them. They couldn't even say his name, and so uh, ultimately, uh, the scriptures show us that God's name is holy. Isaiah fifty-seven fifteen is a good example. For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. So we see that God's name is holy. Understand that holiness is essential to God's character. It is essential to God's character, and she's magnifying his character. I love it. Uh, Fred Moritz tells us about the holiness of God. He says, if holiness is part of God's character, then he alone is the standard of revealed holiness. His holiness sets the standard of conduct for men, and his holiness becomes the standard which determines right and wrong in human conduct. <clears throat> Ultimately, that's what we should be looking to for holiness. God says, be ye holy, for I am holy. So how do, what do we strive for? Do we look to the person next to us and go, well, at least I'm holier than they are? That's not the standard. If that was the case, it would be easy. I could compare myself to Adolf Hitler, and I'd be in pretty good shape. But he's not the standard. Jesus Christ is. See, if, 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 if Adolf Hitler's the standard... Uh, most people are going to heaven. But when Jesus becomes the standard, we realize none of us are worthy. For there is none righteous, no, not one. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And therefore we need a Savior. This was made very well known in the Old Testament. In Leviticus 20, verse 7 and 8, God tells the nation of Israel, Sanctify yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am the Lord your God. And ye shall keep my statutes and do them. I am the Lord which sanctify you. So how do we magnify God's holiness uh, to this lost world? How do we magnify it uh, for, in this lost world? This verse shows us. He says, Sanctify yourselves, therefore. How, you know, Be holy, for I am the Lord your God and ye shall keep my statutes and do them. If you're going to be holy, you've got to keep his commandments. You've got to keep his statutes. By obeying his statutes, we should strive to live holy lives for the, Lord, uh, for the Lord through trusting and obeying his word. Being in his word is how we know what statutes or, or what commandments he has for us. You can't know them if you're not in there. We should do everything in our power to be like Christ as he is the standard of holiness. He is that standard. And lastly, I want you to see she magnified his mercy. She magnified his mercy in verse 50. And his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. Aren't you thankful that we serve a merciful God? As we strive for holiness, it's evident we're not going to get there, right? Uh, we're never going to, you know, if, if to be 100%, we have to be exactly like Jesus Christ. We're never going to see 100% because, again, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We can't hit it. Okay, that's not a reason not to shoot for 100%. If you shoot for 100% and you come up a little short, you come up in the 90s, right? If you shoot for 50, 
you, 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 you come up in the 40s if you come up short of your goal. So we should strive to be like Christ. We should strive for holiness in our lives. It's what sets us apart from the world. Uh, if, if you look just like the world, how are people going to see Jesus Christ? Unless you look like Jesus Christ. But understand that regardless of the fact that we'll never hit 100%, as I said, aren't you thankful we serve a merciful God, that He shows us mercy. We don't deserve, we don't deserve it, but God shows us mercy. I, it brings me to a story I heard about a mother who she once approached Napoleon seeking a pardon for her son. The emperor replied that the young man had committed a certain offense, not once but twice, and justice demanded death. But I don't ask for justice, the mother explained. I plead for mercy. But your son does not deserve mercy, Napoleon replied. Sir, the woman cried, it would not be mercy if he deserved it. And mercy is all I ask for. Well, then, the emperor said, I will have mercy. And he spared the woman's son. That's exactly it. Mercy is getting what we don't deserve. We don't deserve to go to heaven. But God, for, for God so loved us, loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son. Why? So we could have mercy. So we could go to heaven. Uh, I love what Charles Spurgeon says about God's mercy. He says, God's mercy is so great that you may sooner drain the sea of its water or deprive the sun of its light or make space too narrow than diminish the great mercy of God. There's just no way of diminishing the mercy of God. So this morning we have seen how Mary chose to magnify God's salvation and His character. And finally, I want you to see how she chooses to magnify his faithfulness. She magnifies his faithfulness. And she does this in verses 53 through 55, and she starts by magnifying his temporal provision. His temporal provision. Look in verse 53. He hath filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he hath sent, uh, sent empty away. Now, it wasn't all that long ago that we just celebrated Thanksgiving. And we uh, everybody, I'm sure, packed themselves full of a, of a, of a lot of good things. Uh, I know myself personally, I was uh, filled to the gills with good things. My wife made an incredible meal. One of my favorite things that she makes, she, we, I love sweet potatoes, and she, cuts, she boils the sweet potatoes, and then she cuts them into, into chunks, and then she fries them in butter and brown sugar. And oh man, can I eat some sweet potatoes like that. And I was stuffed to the gills with good things. I was filled full. And I want you to understand that God wants you to be filled with good things. Even God wants you to be filled with good things. Paul Chappell states uh, in his discussion on, on the book of Luke, he says, those in physical and spiritual hunger have a greater appreciation for the filling that God gives. So are you hungry for the Lord? Because, see, God wants to fill you with good things, but you need to be hungry for the Lord if you want to be filled with good things from God. And uh, I think about my son, Trayton. Uh, he's horrible. Uh, he likes to snack. And um, it, it always seems like every time I go down to his room to get him for dinner, hey, Trayton, dinner's ready, and I look over and I'm like, 
And what is that sitting next to your desk? Uh, bowl of cereal? I said, it's empty. Yeah, I had a bowl of cereal a little bit ago. I said, dude, we're eating in five minutes. I know, but I was really hungry, Dad. Don't worry, I'll eat. And then he comes back up, and we're sitting at dinner, and we're having dinner, and I look over, and he's barely touched much of the food on his plate. And I'm like, dude, I thought you, oh, I'm not hungry anymore, Dad. I'm full. I said, uh, you know, and that's the problem with Christians. We're so full of the world that there's no room for what God wants to fill us with. And so we have to uh, empty ourselves of, of the things of this world and allow God to fill us with good things. Because he wants to bless us. He wants to fill us with good things. See, if you are full of the world, then you won't be hungry for the Lord. If you're full of the world, you won't be hungry for the Lord. Matthew 5, verse 6 says, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. So, understand that uh, this is his temporal provision. Now I want you to see his eternal provision. His eternal provision. And we see this in verses 54 and verse 55. Uh, what's it say here? It says, He hath holpen his servant Israel, or helped his servant Israel, in remembrance of his mercy, as he spake to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his seed forever. In verses 54 and 55, Mary reminds us that God made a promise to Israel. So I want you to see here, he will remember Israel. He will remember Israel. It doesn't look like it right now. Uh, there, there are a lot of people who, who teach in Scripture, the covenant theologians believe that the church replaces Israel. We are not a replacement for Israel. Israel has been made a promise, and God keeps his promises. And, and therefore, if, you know, and, and we know that this promise was made. We see it in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse them that curseth thee. <coughs> and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. And ultimately, there's a promise made here that ultimately, one day, the nation of Israel will be a great nation again, right? And they were a great nation, and a lot of people say they had their time in David and Solomon's day. And now their time is over. That's not true. It's forever. This is a promise that he's blessed them with. And we, can, uh, we, as believers, should be thankful that God keeps his promises. If, he doesn't, if we replace Israel, then a promise has been broken. And if he can break a promise with Israel, then he likely can break a promise with us. So we must trust that God, and, and we know, we know that the time of the tribulation, God will be dealing with Israel. Right? He's going to be dealing with the nation of Israel. And that's because he wants to bring them back into the fold. And he will, because he's sovereign. And he gets, his will will be done. His will shall be done. So we should take encouragement in that. Why? Because if he remembers Israel, we know he will remember us. He will remember us. If he will remember Israel, he will remember us. God made a promise to those who have chosen to believe on his son, Jesus Christ, for salvation. Remember, before Jesus, we were separated from God. But when you trust Jesus, that is all restored. You are reconciled to God. Colossians 1, 20, verses 22 
uh, 20 and 22 tells us, and having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him, I say, whether they be things on in earth or things in heaven. <clears throat> and you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. So you were at one point alienated and an enemy of God. If you have not trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you're not putting 100% faith in Jesus Christ and Christ alone, you are still alienated and an enemy of God. That's just how it works. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm not trying to hurt anyone's feelings. I'm telling you what the Word of God says. But there's, there's hope. Yet now hath he reconciled in body of, of his flesh through death. What did Jesus do? He came here to live amongst us. Not just to hang out and find out what it's like to be a human, but to give his life on the cross of Calvary so we could have eternal life. So we could be reconciled to God. That way we could present ourselves holy and unbelievable and unreprovable in his sight. How do we do that? Through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, which is an atonement that covers us, and therefore God sees his son. He doesn't see filthy Jim Patzer. So instead of focusing on the difficult circumstances surrounding her, Mary chose to trust the Lord, to worship him in spite of her circumstances. She magnified the Lord for who he is, for the great things he has done, and for the miraculous way he had provided a savior for the world. There are times when we are faced with difficult circumstances, and therefore we are confronted with where we will place our focus. Where will we place our focus? Do we focus on the negative and magnify the circumstances and ourselves with a poor me attitude? Or do we choose to magnify the Lord and all his goodness? Mary chose to magnify the Lord. What will you choose? With every head bowed and every eye closed to offer a moment of invitation. Every head bowed, every eye closed, no looking around. want to offer a moment of invitation. Uh, if you're here this morning, you've never trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Today could be your day.